I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson, and we are getting ready to break down the NFC South and the NFC North. If you're watching us live here on YouTube, we've got one more. We have one more draft grade session to get through. That'll be coming out either tomorrow or Monday. Yes. Got some, got some things to figure out here. <laughs> I don't want to say we lied to the people, but we might have to push one to Monday. Yeah, well, things have, things have gone awry this week a little bit. I'm... I'm away for the weekend. So, so do you think that's the play? We'll do a Monday morning? It could be. I mean, look, it's, it comes down to whether there's three options, right? Either you need to have it in you to go monologue style for that length of time. And I don't know if that's, that's in you. Um, two, Are you challenging me? No, I'm just saying, look, if you want to go monologue style, it's, it's ambitious. I applaud the, uh, the idea. But you want to go right in there with like a 90-minute monologue? That's tough. 60. We can do 60. 60. Two you find somebody else to do the podcast with a lot of people away uh or three we do what you're talking about which is bump friday's plan to, to monday and roll in all right so tbd but, but you're gonna get more draft grades. i'm not here so i don't really care what you do you don't care you're yeah. off you're off to the woods and, yeah you know have fun enjoy it well-deserved vacation so we're gonna go through the nfc we've already hit a couple of the divisions check them out uh, in podcast land if that's where you are or on youtube thanks to everybody for tuning in thanks to everybody for tuning into the pff draft show last week uh, record numbers for mm-hmm. us so it was a lot of fun uh let's get right into it nfc south and north so i guess we got to start in the south we probably do we do remember I, though i want to start on. with the rogers before stuff, we go though. anywhere we are almost there to the thousand dollars to charity that's oh, required yeah. to get you to rock a fro on this podcast we are 745 dollars i think out of a thousand go to my twitter pff underscore sam it's the pin tweet if we raise a thousand dollars for charity a, we'll raise 2000 because Steve's going to match it. And right. B, uh, he will have to have a full-on fro during the podcast, which is, frankly, a win-win for everybody. It looks like we're going to get there. We'll match, uh, we'll match the donation. It's to Heritage House, a local faith-based recovery program here in Cincinnati for men fighting addiction. And so, thank you to everyone that's already donated. Yes, thank you to everybody. And so I'm looking at probably like next Thursday when you come back. Yeah. It might be an Afro show, and then I'm going to have to find <laughs> Liz for the haircut before I head on to head to vacation. Okay, you have to do that. Is that related to the the Afro show? Or you well, just... the thing is, I've needed a haircut for a while, but once this fro thing showed up, I can't go cut it right now. I can't cut my hair. Oh, before the fro. Before That's the it. fro. Yeah, so yeah. I need to go fro, get the haircut. But like, it's not that the, the fro vacation. is going to cause like an acute need for a haircut. It doesn't like ruin it for perpetuity, right? It's uh, it ruins it for a couple of days. Yeah, oh, okay. probably. It, it, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. You might you might think it's already ruined. Uh, no comment. Anyway, thanks to everybody that's already donated, so check it out, Sam's Twitter account. Let's go uh, Atlanta Falcons, NFC South review. The Falcons get Kyle Pitts in the first round. 
fourth overall. Really nice. You end up with Richie Grant in the second round. I thought it was an okay draft overall. There wasn't it wasn't like they should have gone all defense, but you know uh, Jalen Mayfield was a bit of a. I mean, where they got him was fine. They want to uh, Jalen Mayfield, the offensive tackle for Michigan, probably going to come in and step in at left guard. There's some projection to him. Some other people in the draft community liked him even more. But I think Atlanta still comes out of this draft with some massive question marks on defense. Yeah, which was always likely to be the case when you look no at the roster what, and what happen. they needed. I mean, this was a team that needs defense across the board, which is why I actually like going offense with you know Kyle Pitts. It's like, look, nobody could pick a number four, even independent of the fact that defenders didn't really appear worth the number four overall pick. But nobody you could have picked at that spot was going to fix the defense, whereas Kyle Pitts can be this force multiplier to the offense and say, all right, let's take an offense that's already pretty good. Let's push it into the stratosphere of, of phenomenal, and then we'll attack defense later on and just keep chipping away at that because that's going to be more of a multi-year project. So I, I love the fact that they – I mean, I said you know, they were going to get trapped at number four. I just didn't see the trade down materializing, and that was going to leave them – you know quotation marks stuck with Kyle Pitts but you that's giving you a guy who is a genuine unicorn in terms of potential and capability and what he's um, able to do and I've seen some people recently saying you know for everybody saying Kyle Pitts is the best tight end prospect and the most freaky athlete ever do you guys not remember Vernon Davis which is I think is a good one to bring up because Vernon Davis back in the day like broke the combine was that like a four three five or something at his size. He, he was also I forget his exact measurables coming into Maryland. He was a wide receiver recruit. Yeah, you know he was on the recruiting board as a receiver and then bulked up huge right. yes. at tight end and was just this you know workout warrior type of physical freak. Four I think it was four three five, but had crazy um, numbers across the board. But the difference I think between Vernon Davis and Kyle Pitts is one. There's a significant difference in like length between the two. Like Vernon Davis just got massive, but Kyle Pitts is well proportioned at like whatever he is six six. Um, and then the other difference is, I think Kyle, Pitt, Kyle Pitts is just a way more natural receiver. Like he's so good and so freaky that the fact that he is one of the the most natural just pass catchers in this draft at any position is like the seventh thing on the list you bring up about him, right? Like he is able to in the course of running a route, catch a completely off-target pass and keep on flying like it's nothing. And those are like, that would be number one in terms of a lot of uh, prospects. That would be the thing you're talking about uh, for a lot of prospects. But because Kyle Pitts is 6'6 and runs a 4'4 and can play everywhere, it's, it's, it barely gets a mention. Like the, the actual fundamental parts of like being good at the position it barely registers in terms of how good he is. You want a Vernon Davis breakdown here? Yeah. What do we got? In 2006, at six foot three, yeah, 254. By the way, six three is short for a tight end. Right. So there's like three inches between them. There's a lot of length between them in terms of like Kyle Pitts had the longest wingspan that's ever been measured. Vernon Davis didn't. A 100th percentile 40-yard dash at 4.38. 20-yard and 10-yard, both 98th, 99th percentile. Yep. 99th percentile bench press with 33. Yeah. Vertical, 42. Yeah. That's 99th percentile. Broad jump, 97th percentile. 20-yard shuttle, 4.17, 90th percentile. And then his three-cone was 78th percentile. 
seven flat. So he's 98th percentile, 97th percentile or better in every every workout measure, Vernon yeah. Davis, except the three cone, and he was still really good there. So Vernon that Davis. Is, that is probably a good comp as far as unicorn type of deal. And well, this is a guy that showed up once every 15 years, literally. literally. Sure, but also I think like Vernon Davis had one of the best combines of all time. Like that's one of the best week week not even weekends. One of the best uh, performances at the scouting combine of any player ever. But I think there is a difference between the two of them in terms of like just how good they were at actually playing their position. And for as freaky a, an athlete as Vernon Davis was, he didn't really have wide out skills. You know what I mean? Whereas Kyle Pitts does. Like he might not be as special an athlete as Vernon Davis, but he's a significantly better player in terms of like playing wide receiver and wide receiver skills. So even if you're comparing the two of them, A, you make a great point that that is, I mean, it's, it, it's literally generational, right? 2006 and now is, yep. is a generation. Um, so it, it is a generational thing, those two guys. But also I think even in consider, considering Vernon Davis's freaky workout numbers, Kyle Pitts is a better, more unicorn, more rare prospect. Can we also just say, look, no matter what position you call Kyle Pitts, tight ends usually take a little bit of time to transition to the NFL, sure. even a Vernon Davis or whoever it might be. Even Rob Gronkowski was unbelievable as a rookie, but he had – I have to look up his stats. There's only been like 2,000-yard receiving yeah. tight ends right out of the gate. One of them was Jeremy Shockey, and I forget who the right. other one was. Gronk had modest stats. He had good stats and then really broke out in 2011. If you're the, if you're the Atlanta Falcons – do you just keep Julio this year? There's a lot of rumors that they're going to trade him and this whole thing. If you're the Atlanta Falcons, you do kind of want to win here in year one. They're not in they're not in tank world. You've got Matt Ryan as quarterback for at least the next two years. Mm-hmm. I really want to see what Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts look like. And by the way, Russell Gage was one of the better third wide receivers yeah. last year. It is a really good trio. And Hayden Hurst, I didn't think Hayden Hurst was an upgrade over Austin Hooper like some other people did. But he's a nice tight end too. You know, he's a good he's a good backup to a Kyle Pitts or a, you know a change of pace to Kyle Pitts. I'm really loving this offense, and I, I want to see it. I want to see the Falcons, like they have a playoff caliber offense. Yeah, this hasn't changed over the last couple of years, <laughs> but they have to find a way to just stitch it together defensively. You know, creep back toward average as best they can, whether it's a new scheme or whatever. But I really want to see Pitts and Julio and the whole the whole crew on the field at the same time. Yeah, I think unless you get a crazy offer for Julio, you keep him. Uh, the question for the Falcons, uh, defensive line, Grady Jarrett's the only guy projected as a starter that graded above 58, and he was an 80. So the defensive line's a big a big question mark. They didn't address that until round five, and then the entire defensive backfield is the same thing. Nobody that's coming back graded above the six, above 65, and that's Deron Harmon. He's a new, uh, a new addition over at Free Safety. Richie Grant... Nice, strong safety type of prospect to get him in the second round at 40 overall, as I said. Um, and like I said about Jalen Mayfield, you get him in the third round. Um, the one thing I do like about the Falcons with their offensive line, it does seem like they've always had a couple sturdy pieces, and then they're always bringing one in or two in. They had to bring two in a couple of years ago with Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, but now they have veterans. Mayfield will be a new starter, potentially at left guard. Eh, I guess you got Matt Hennessy starting at center. Um Drew Dahlman, the fourth-round center out of Stanford, also might be competing there. So I think the mid-round options have a chance to contribute, which is nice for the Falcons. But I'm still coming out of this saying I don't really feel anything good. Yeah, and a lot of that is because of what's there. You know, It's like you have a path to contribute because the players in those positions are not good 
um, so you have a, a clearer way through to actually being productive. But it's not necessarily a ringing endorsement of the players that you that you drafted. It's just that you hit a position eventually that has a pretty dire need and can therefore see some playing time. All right, we give the Falcons a B overall because I think you know, as I say, this was good, but there's more to do. There's probably a few more, a few better players that they could have gotten there. Uh, by the way, the two places that they did address corner, Darren Hall at San Diego State and Avery Williams at Boise State, like we've said about the Cardinals and some other teams, there's there's a path to the field for for those guys because it's A.J. Terrell and a, a Kendall Sheffield as the projected starters. That that spot opposite A.J. Terrell is wide open. So for Hall and for Avery Williams, a good spot for those guys to compete. Uh, let's go to the Carolina Panthers here. They go with J.C. Horn in the first round and what do we end up with their draft grade here they got a b minus so we were a little bit lower on their draft i liked terrace marshall yes their second round pick brady christensen their third round pick i think the big question is jc horn at eight overall we always talk about scheme fits on paper this is not a good one but sometimes different picks indicate changes in how you're going to play defensively mm-hmm. so explain explain that why jc horn on paper is not a good fit for the panthers i mean if you ask anybody what jc horn is as a prospect they would tell you he's the best press man cover corner in this draft so a guy that will get up at the line of scrimmage jam receivers at the line and ride them with physical contact throughout the route but if you ask him to play off coverage or in zones just the tape isn't as good he isn't quite as you got some questions about his movement skills when he's out on an island in space and he doesn't have his hands all over the receiver to be able to kind of give him clues as to what the change of direction is going to be. And you just like his fit in that kind of scheme a lot less than you do a team that plays a ton of press man coverage. So teams like Philadelphia or New England or Miami, you're like, okay, that makes sense. That's a great fit. Team like Carolina, they played like the fewest amount of press man lowest press man snaps press snaps fourth highest percentage of zone yeah so one of two things has to change either you're expecting jc horn to get significantly better at that or you i mean you just interpret it differently you think he is good at that or you are planning on pivoting something in your defense so that jc horn can play a lot more press man whether that's the entire defense is going to play more press man coverage or whether it's you know that kind of Seattle type of system where you can isolate one corner you know almost lock one guy up in man coverage and then the rest of the coverage shell sort of pivots as one unit elsewhere right the the Seahawks did that a lot with Richard Sherman during his pump Um, they would just lock him up one-on-one on that side and forget about everything else just move everything else away from him so you can kind of play press man within a zone coverage shell it's just that most teams don't their trio of corners now is A.J. Boye, who hey, hasn't been good for a couple of years, but I don't mind taking a shot on him. And then Dante Jackson, who's been solid. I think Dante could play inside, be their nickel with Horn and Boye being outside. And I think Dante Jackson has press man skills, particularly if you're going to make him into a slot corner. I think he could be a – he could function in that kind of defense pretty well. The other spot would be a question mark. Like, can A.J. Boye now – He's an off He's an off player. Right. Can He's he had hold his up best year with Jacksonville? Yeah, like that. can he hold up as a press man cover corner as the the other one of the trio? That I think would be a pretty big question mark. 
Um, I like some of their other picks. You know, with I mentioned Terrace Marshall, getting him in the second, dropped a little bit because of injury concerns, but big-bodied receiver who's not a, a lot of times at that size you get a clunky route runner. He's pretty good route runner. He's good at the catch point. I like Terrace Marshall a ton. At he could be a steal. Two. I mean, when you get into round two in this draft, there aren't many guys where you could look at them and say they have – true number one x receiver skills they could become you know a legitimate number one wide receiver in any offense terrace marshall has that skill set he could be the one guy from those mid mid to lower rounds where you say all right that guy could come in and be an elite number one receiver now obviously he slid you know basically a full round over where we were expecting him to go because of injuries and that's always its own question mark but if he holds up like if he is um physically okay I mean, that's an absolute – that's them getting another first-round caliber wide receiver way lower than that. Uh, and then uh, it feels like my theme here. Here are the other things that this team still needs to do to get better, um, trying to skew negative every single time. Hmm. But the Panthers remain with some questions, have some questions that remain on the offensive line. Uh, left tackle is a choice between Cam Irving, who had a 58 grade last year, is never really graded above 60, and then Greg Little – hasn't developed was a drafted as a developmental second rounder a couple years ago had a 44 grade in limited time last year so third rounder brady christensen who's probably greg little's age i don't even know i gotta check it because he's <laughs> i think he's about 25 now byu getting brady christensen at 70 overall that's about where we would take him and christensen 96 grade last year at byu it wasn't the most difficult slate of edge rushers that he's faced over the last couple years but he's been incredibly productive He's one of the keys to this entire draft for the Panthers. If Christensen can actually come in and play left tackle, I'm really liking this draft. I mean, there's, here are the what-ifs. J.C. Horn either takes to the system or they adjust it to him. Terrace Marshall is the playmaker that we expect, and all of a sudden it's D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall. They also signed David Moore. That looks really nice. And Brady Christensen comes in and plays left tackle. Brady Christensen is a full year older than Greg Little. Older than Greg Little. Yeah. So there you go. He's more experienced. He's experienced mm. in life. In so life. Brady Christensen could step in. It doesn't completely solve the offensive line, but Taylor Mouton at right tackle is really good. One of the league's best. The rest of the line, Pat Elfline, Matt Paradis, Dennis I, Daly, either do you have, have any just idea? haven't performed well either ever or recently. This is another one of those things. You know where you're saying, I at least like to be able to see the pattern of what you're trying to attempt, you know, when you're generally building a roster, when you're constructing um, player acquisition. And the offensive line, I think, is the same thing. Like, can you at least see a pattern of what they're doing, right? And with the Panthers, I have no earthly idea what they're doing. They bring in a couple of guys in free agency immediately. So they bring in Pat Elfline and Cameron Irving in like the first hour of free agency, which means you were prioritizing those players, right? You don't stumble into a value pick in the first hour of free agency. Those were guys you were targeting. And neither of those guys has played well in the NFL. Um, they're also... But yet, so in the draft, you get Brady Christensen coming in. Okay, later on, they they get Deontay Brown, who is like a monster road grading interior offensive lineman. A guy that's going to be threatening 350 pounds isn't going to be the best pass blocker in the world, but will like plow a fur furlough for your running back to run through. But how does that mesh with like a Pat Elfline, who's like an undersized interior offense? Like I. Again, what what are you doing here? I don't I don't see the pattern between these players you're bringing in. Throwing a lot and seeing what sticks. 
But surely you would throw a lot at like better players than that. Yeah, I don't know. I, Deontay Brown, by the way, I, I I mentioned it on the the live show really quickly. Didn't give up a sack at Alabama, but as we always talk about here, that's not a critical. It's a nice stat, but it's not a critical factor, so to speak, from PFF standpoint. Deontay Brown has been a very below average pass blocker at Alabama. And I'm just reiterating the point that you do not judge offensive linemen by sacks allowed. It is out of their control. You look at how well they blocked, and um, he was not a good pass blocker. Makes for good tweets. They go viral. But Deontay Brown, don't look at that zero sacks allowed and say, wow, what a steal in the sixth round. He's not a good pass blocker. The uh, the last time you called out the social team, they got you back pretty quickly. I'm not calling out the social team. That sounds a little bit like you're I'm just saying. Team. I'm just explaining the stat that will go that will retweet it, you know, make the social team feel good, but because mm. they pulled out them your, out. Uh, they pulled out your little uh, short shuttle and said that's what a 0.0 grade looks like. It's a good that's average in our system. Do they even know that? Zero grade? No, it isn't. On the plus minus On the system, old system it is. Yeah, not anymore. 0.0, that's rough. I mean, um, it was true, but Tommy Tremble's the other guy to look at. There's uh, the tight end room is not great in Carolina. Tommy Tremble Little athleticism, even though he's more of like an H-back move player, one of the best, um, some of the best run blocks you'll ever see. A lot of them on the move, as I said. I thought, I thought he would be a guy that like a, a team that runs a fullback with a fullback a lot. The Patriots, the Shanahan yeah. scheme, the Ravens. I thought that they would really covet Tremble because he can line up all over the place and absolutely wreck people. But um, third round, 83rd overall. They also <laughs> they drafted a long snapper from Alabama, uh, Thomas Fletcher. They got the better long snapper. The better long snapper. Yeah. But did you see the call that they made to the long snapper? I saw that they were showing it. I didn't see the actual The call. long snapper wasn't aware that he'd been drafted. So Matt Rule calls him up. He's like, hey, so, you know, uh, you ready to, to go or something? You know, the standard stuff. And he was like, he thought he was just being recruited as like an undrafted thing, you know, you have, where you have your choice. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I don't know, coach. I'm like weighing up my options, just like narrowing it down right now. He's like, no, 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 we just drafted you. Like you're... <laughs> You don't you're, have any you're coming to Carolina. He's like, oh, oh yeah, great. yeah. It's like, I'll walk there right now. I'd be like, you drafted a long snapper? Are you crazy? <laughs> Why would you do that? I wouldn't draft me. What are you doing? Why are you wasting a pick on a long snapper? See, even Thomas Fletcher gets positional value. I mean, he, even he was surprised, yeah. Listen, you, you show up to the PFF NFL podcast for, for everything here. Thomas Fletcher, perfect on short snaps. That's field goals and extra points. Perfect. Yeah. 90 of them. I mean, last you, year. you were out on the Cheeseman, but you're in on Thomas Fletcher. Yeah, Cheeseman had a couple bad ones in there. But uh, Shrimp Cheeseman. Shrimp, yeah, shrimp, shrimp Cheeseman. And then uh, Fletcher, 93.8% long snap accuracy. That's good. Yeah. It's good. If you're in the 90s, you're, you're, you're there. You're good. Yeah. 80s. I don't know. 80s is questionable. Yeah. That's when you're in cheese territory. So. <laughs> um, all right. B minus for the, for the Panthers. This is an okay draft. Solid draft. Uh, New Orleans Saints. I don't think we gave them a good grade. Scrolling I, down. Yeah. I'm scrolling. I'm doing it the, the long way here. Saints, we gave them a C. I was, I was underwhelmed by their draft in general. They, they drafted six times. Peyton Turner, first-round pick. He is uh, Marcus Davenport-like yeah. as far as size and length. I'm going to read his. I'll read his measurables as well. Um, he's not a complete projection. He did have a really good production last year as well yeah it's, it's one of those ones where so there's a 30 pick difference between where we had him on the big board and where he ended up getting selected 58 to 28 but we were saying this heading into the process that look the edge rusher group is chaos this year and there are going to be teams that have some of these guys that we have you know in the middle of the second round that's going to be their number one edge rusher on the board and, and all these kinds of things so I think that is a reflection of what we were talking about that the Saints 
just valued Peyton Turner higher than we did. And it, as much as you can say, you can point to reasons why that's not smart. You can also point to things that would back them up and say, all right, this makes sense. So I don't hate the Peyton Turner pick. I think a lot of people were talking about him as a first rounder. Um, and because this year more than any other, like that group of edge rushers was just like madness in terms of trying to rank those guys. So I don't think you can hate on the Saints uh, for that particular pick. Um, certainly relative to other years where you might be more critical. Six foot six. That's 92nd percentile. Six foot six, 268. He's got 35 plus inch arm length. That's 96th percentile, 95th percentile hands. Here's the kicker, though. Three cone, 6.7. Wow. That's 99th percentile. Now, we talked about, now at 6'6", six, six, 268, we're not adjusting for size with this. This is like every edge rusher yeah. that ran a three cone historically. That's a 98th percentile, percentile, even going up against those 220-pound edge rushers that pop up every now and again and should be <laughs> should have freaky speed. Right, and so that... So that combination is incredible. Was at the Senior Bowl, did some nice things there. So he's got the length and freaky change of direction. We talked about Quiddy Pay, who didn't run a three cone this time, but he's got a six five like yeah. under his belt and historically, which is ridiculous. I it's, would sit on that as well if yes, I had one of those. That's, like, you've got it. <laughs> Don't run it. one ever again. That's the one you use. By the way, just for perspective, I was looking through. Say, um, like in high school, you go to all these camps. You go to a lot of camps, and you might do these workouts four, five, six times in an off season. Whereas in the NFL, you do it once or twice, right? Just to understand how these things fluctuate. I was looking at a high school kid's breakdown the other day. His 40s ranged from like 4.38 to 4.52 yeah. in, an, in an off season. His, his three cone ranged from, say, 6.8 to 7.1. I mean, so there are ranges for these things. It's not completely set in stone. All you're doing, it's like a, it's a snapshot I mean, in time and a range that you're getting into. Like, just think about what that is. Like, of course they fluctuate by that level. There's, of, different, a, there's different stopwatches. There's, there's pretty much that trip. degree of margin of error in the system, just in terms of operating a freaking stopwatch. And B, they're talking about like a tenth of a second. Of Like, of course you're going to fluctuate in your running time over 40 yards by a tenth of a second every now and again when you're doing them. So with... um. With Turner, so the thing is, when you, well, I'm going to talk about this a little bit with Joe Tryon, um, the bot when we get to the box too. One of the best ways that we look, you can use PFF grades is on the defensive line. It is one of the 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 most translatable, some of the most translatable numbers that we have. Our grades, pass rush grade and run defense grade, they are very stable from college to the NFL. And by the way, stable doesn't mean 100. percent It just means it's you know very predictive. It's far more predictive, of course, than sack totals or tackles or anything like that. And Peyton Turner. Had a really nice 2020, small sample size, um, but his, pr his production's solid. We're talking compared to recent NFL prospects, slightly above average, a little above average compared to these recent NFL prospects as far as pass rush grade, run defense grade has been really good. Um, so it's not like we're talking about a completely unproductive project here. Um, so I think the Turner pick could be fine. Mm -hmm. you know, he's, a, he's a solid player with with freak tools and athleticism and he steps in and he turns a strength into a strength on this new orleans defensive line we're talking about a line that has cameron jordan marcus davenport and turner has a chance to maybe step in and replace uh trey hendrickson who just hit yeah free agency it maintains a strength i mean it, it you know it prevents potential uh, erosion of that group uh, the rest of the picks you know pete werner drafted a little bit higher than we would have said second round linebacker out of ohio state uh and then paulson adebo the Stanford uh, cornerback, or Debo. I think he's the most important player here for the Saints. 
I keep coming back to what does the current depth chart look like? What are the current needs? The Saints came into this thing. If you're going to make a play, wide receiver and corner. Those are the things in 2021 where they need to be good. They just have to be. You lost Emmanuel Sanders and you lost Janoris Jenkins. And you don't go in and just fill the deeds. But it's a question mark, man. Like their secondary was a strength last year too. Patrick Robinson is better in the slot. Marshawn Lattimore is on one side. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson plays more in the slot in a hybrid role. Who's that other outside corner? Adebo has a chance to be that guy, but he's a third rounder, 76th overall pick, but there's a path to the field for him. If he somehow steps in and he's solid, that's it's a steal in a kind of a necessary one for the Saints to compete. And there were people that loved that guy. Like we had him ranked as the 18th best corner in, in the draft, but there were players that had him top or people, evaluators that had him top five amongst cornerbacks. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of, when we were looking at who could, who could sneak into the first round. Um, and we were talking about Eric Stokes and um, the other Georgia corner, but there were people that had uh, Paulson Adebo as that guy, the guy that could sneak into the first round as a, somebody that does have the talent, 24 pass breakups in two seasons. So it's interesting. He was drafted just low enough where you're like, well, you can't really rely on him, but just high enough where, you know, he can show something and get himself on the field. He's in that weird sort of gray area of team commitment, you know? Kind of like yeah. uh, Cameron Dantzler a year ago. Just high enough where you're like, okay, Dantzler could make this team and do some damage. He's got talent. And then just low enough where you're like, well, you're not relying on it. Like, it's probably not happening. But if he shows well, the team could buy in. I mean, the same way I say, okay, trust our defensive line grades more than others. The coverage stuff does tend to fluctuate a little bit. Those, those guys are harder to predict. And it's not just, it's not just PFF. When you look historically at hit rate, and um, we did have an astute listener uh, put together a lot of hit hit rate stuff just before the draft. I didn't have a chance to really look at it, and I forget who it is. I apologize. But he tweeted at us, Sam. I glanced at it, and at a glance, you just saw cornerback is really low as far as NFL hit rate. It is a difficult position to project. So a best-case scenario for the Saints when you get – there are third-round corners that can contribute because, again, you know, that's – projections are all over the place and college production doesn't always translate directly to the nfl he's 6'1 198 adebo um four four five forty above average generally from a measurable standpoint and then you know solid college production only two years 2018 and 19 so that is to me he's just one of the bigger wild cards in the entire draft you mentioned all the forced incompletions he's got a ton uh, 30 and one of the highest rates per per target so uh, a Debo, he could be a good player. I just, I, I think there's, um, he's he's just like the guy I'm going to be watching hmm. in this class. And I imagine in the Saints draft room, they're excited getting a guy that you said people really liked. That he was probably a top forty player on the Saints board. Yeah, I would imagine so. They also drafted Ian Book, which is a weird one, in the fourth round. That's where I thought they wasted a pick. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, that's way worse than the Davis Mills pick. I think. I mean, well, that was, it's, um, yeah, you made the same point, essentially. Renner said they lit that pick on fire, and you've essentially just made the same point for Ian Book. Yeah, I mean, Ian Book is a guy that has accurate, he's not the most accurate quarterback, he doesn't have great tools, and he holds the ball way too long in the pocket. Yeah. He, There's actually not, he's, he's actually, he's athletic. That's yeah. his one really good trait, is athleticism and scrambling ability. Maybe he can be Taysom Hill to Taysom Hill's Taysom Hill. But there you go. Um, when you're when you're talking about the sort of the qualities that you need to be a viable NFL quarterback, not even a good one, um, that 
the thing that we talked about, about the sliders, right? The trait sliders that Drew Brees was able to, you know, if, if your arm is going to go down and your slider for arm strength is going to slide all the way towards the bottom, the only way you're viable in the NFL is if the other things are right up at the top, accuracy and anticipation and being able to get rid of the ball quickly. And Brees was able to play still at a really high level because that was what he was towards the end. The arm strength fell off a cliff, but the other stuff was rooted like up at the 90-whatever percentile. Ian Book is a guy where the arm strength is down, the anticipation is down, and the accuracy is down. Like, I, at that point, how can, you, how can you succeed in the NFL? Like, you're not good at any of the things that are, that are necessary to be a viable NFL quarterback. It's not that you need all three of them, but one of them has to be good, and none of them are. Just the way you describe that, too, the spectrum of players is like Alex Smith, who was a former number one overall pick, and we know him as a conservative, throw the ball underneath type of guy, but he had a good enough arm. He had a good Good enough arm arm and accurate enough. He was extremely accurate. He also played a little bit slower than you would have liked at times, right, Alex Smith? So that slider would have been down. Anticipation wasn't great. That slider would have been down. But 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 when he threw it, it was accurate, right? The other two would have been reasonably high. Then you have Cody Kessler. Below average NFL arm. Yep, down. And then also had that just slow processing in the right. pocket. Was which accurate. Like, Dude, you can't do that. Yeah. You just can't be that slow in right. the pocket without the tools. So it was accurate, but... Extremely uh, accurate. Processing, yes. anticipation, and arm strength are down. So two of his three sliders were down. Right. Two of Alex Smith's three we were up. Here. If you, that's my point all and along, Ian Book right? is low on everything. To me, yeah. yeah to me, it's, it's essentially a three-slider system, right? And if one of your – if two of your three sliders is up, you can, you can succeed in the NFL. If two of the three are down, you're toast. And Book, three of the three are down. So I, I, can't, I can't even envisage a way that he succeeds unless it is by playing Taysom Hill. So, yeah, I think um, – I, I didn't love the book pick. I, I just think the Saints, it's not Drew, like Drew Brees isn't there anymore. And not to not to completely overrate one year of what we saw between New England and Tom Brady and the whole thing. But if we want to, we could easily say, here's the value of having an elite quarterback, by the way. You know, like he, go, he left one place and they, they're no longer a playoff team. He goes to another place and they're a Super Bowl champion. Drew Brees raises that floor of your team. He's not there anymore. So I don't think you can afford an Ian Book pick in the fourth unless I mean I'm all for drafting quarterbacks there's always a chance that they're great that, I'm just I'm just not seeing it with him. that's the thing right it's not even that you know spending a pick on a quarterback in the fourth round when you've got that kind of chaos of Tamus as your starter was a bad pick it's that if you're going to do that at least show me how that guy could be a starter somewhere right if they had taken a swing at whoever where you're like okay go back to the sliders I can see two of those three sliders are good enough that we can work with that in the NFL level uh, but with Book, it's like, all right, you, you pick this guy in the fourth round, and I just cannot see how he could work out as an NFL quarterback. Now, look, again, this is not an exact science, right? It's still, it's still a massively um, – it's still a, a system massively subject to who the hell knows what's going on here. There are quarterbacks that nobody ever see, saw panning out who work out and are good players. But – so, you know, maybe Ian Book is that guy. Maybe we'll be looking at this in a few years' time and trying to figure out what the hell we missed – on Ian Book because he's become a good NFL quarterback. But when you look at that broad strokes way of doing it, this three-slider system of accuracy, anticipation and decision-making, and arm strength, all three of those are bad for him, at which point there's not an awful lot left 
for him to be really good at in order to offset that stuff. So I think, you know, look at the Saints draft. We gave him a C. I, I honestly would be a little bit higher on this because I see a path to success for Peyton Turner in yep. the first round, and I see a path for Adebo. I mean, he's got good production in a limited sample size for us. Moves all right, good size. I think he's the wild card of this draft. And, you know, he might have an opportunity to contribute right away as a rookie. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, as we've said many times, a team that's bringing back they're too deep. They're three deep. They're bringing back everybody, everybody from the yeah. Super Bowl team. So they were in a very different position from every other team. So it's like, what, do you do you get guys that are going to help add some depth this year, draft for the future? They have a combination of all that stuff. Joe Tryon, same thing as Peyton Turner. Decent production, bit of a projection. They get him at the first and also drafted a little bit higher than we would have said. I love the Kyle Trask pick in the second round as developmental quarterback. You get him at the end of the second round I love that yeah and good for Kyle Trask and then they add interior offensive line depth with Robert Hainsey who's going to transition from tackle maybe to center maybe guard at the NFL level but either way that is one of those worst case scenarios for the Bucs well more to the point when guards get hurt cover all five positions almost can. like I think one thing that they may have learned from last year is that when you lose an offensive lineman the last thing you want to do is start shuffling the entire offensive line in order to patch up the one guy that went down because now you're making two or three spots worse. And that was what Tampa Bay did earlier in the season, and it almost derailed the whole thing. Remember when um, Ali Marpet went down, they moved uh, Ryan Jensen from center to guard, and everything started to collapse, right? I think that Hainsey is the guy that potentially prevents them needing to do that again. If some guy goes down, Hainsey comes in, regardless of what the spot is. And okay, maybe he's not good, but at least you maintain the other four guys. So the four of your five offensive line are good, and you figure out how to patch up the, the Hainsey issue if he plays badly. Then you've got your guy, Jalen Darden. Yes. You know, a guy that can play in the slot. And as loaded as the Bucks are, at receiver, at tight end, Darden actually brings something different from what they have at receiver, right? I mean, as far as a, a slot first, route runner, catch the ball, create after the catch a little bit it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the third wide receiver or starter no. reminder Mike Evans is there Chris Godwin's there Antonio Brown's there Scotty Miller uh Tyler Johnson all these guys yep but like Antonio Brown and Godwin have done a lot of the work in the slot especially Godwin and this is he's a different type of player than even a Jalen Darden who comes in and could see some snaps this year I quietly love this draft they were in a position where they didn't have holes anywhere um so the question is well, what do you do with that do you draft for depth everywhere and just plug in a guy that would be the, the next, the, the bottom guy on the depth chart? Do you take guys that are like redshirt players and you hope can develop into something special in the future? I think the Bucks have basically got a mix of everything. They've taken some guys like Joe Tryon who they think are projects and longer term answers and, you know, a player they can develop for the future. Same with Kyle Trask. It's like this Brady thing, though, you know, all evidence to the contrary is not going to last forever at some point we're going to need a quarterback of the future and I do think that Trask has a lot of good developmental traits remember this guy has barely played now it turns out when you look at it in just in terms of dropbacks he's played a lot more than somebody like uh, um, Trey Lance you know Kyle Trask attempted more passes last season than Trey Lance has since the start of his high school career which is slightly terrifying if you're a 49ers fan um, but Trask has basically played two seasons of football Guy didn't start in high school, uh, was a backup to De'Ara King, didn't start the, at the start of his college career either, um, backup to Felipe Franks, then gets the starting gig, 
First season went okay. Second season was fantastic. So I think you have to look at Trask and think, all right, just because of some of the some of the things he's doing in terms of mistakes, you know, turnover where he plays, those kinds of things, they're a product of the fact that he hasn't played much and he isn't as good as some other quarterbacks that just understanding everything he needs to read on a given play and avoiding the the error during the process, right? But I think you can expect him to get better at that because he is so young at playing the position. So I think that's a great pick for for long term. And then a guy like Hainsey, as we just said, comes in, gives you a depth player, uh, uh, avoids a potential disaster when injuries strike. And then Darden does much the same thing at wide receiver, um, albeit a guy that probably features even less if everybody stays healthy. Darden has a skill set that can come in, be a speed receiver down the field, be a slot guy only, make some plays after the catch. To me, the skill set that he has is it's almost a replacement for, you know, Jaden Mickens yeah. that they had last year. And, you know, you, you look at that and you say, well, Jaden Mickens was basically a non-factor in this team. But remember there was like one game where Jaden Mickens got like seven targets by halftime? The Bucks had a bunch of injuries at receiver at various times. You know, Antonio Brown didn't show up till late. Godwin missed some time. Evans missed a little bit of time. So that's where the depth really kicked in. And, yeah, Darden was, was catching passes. Jaden Mickens, had, Mickens I'm sorry, was had nine targets on the season, and seven of them came in one game against the Giants. Um, so I, I think every now and again, whether it's injuries, whether it's just what the, the defense is trying to take away, you're going to run into a game where all of a sudden Jalen Darden is getting five targets and making a couple of plays here and there. And then, you know, the other thing you could say is, okay, there's a future-looking aspect to all of this stuff, right? So Chris Godwin is a free agent again at the end of the season because he was franchise-tagged. Can Jalen Darden step in and be the slot receiver in a year? Uh, Alex Kappa, the starting right guard, is a free agent at the end of the season. Will Robert Hainsey step in and be the right guard next year? Uh, Joe Tryon, is he a replacement down the road for uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, right? I mean, so all of these, uh, all of these players have a – path to just add depth this year and then eventually maybe replace some of the stars that are currently on the team so yeah I'm with you man I like the I like the Bucks draft I think they did well you know I, I think they probably could have gotten Joe Tryon's a bit of a not a reach but you know you're trying to hit you're trying to hit a home run there with yeah. a guy that supposedly has gotten all bulked up after the opt-out last year and has all the tools just hasn't shown it on the field yet and you're right. getting that at 32 so there's some risk there for yeah sure. it's it's probably not the risk I would have taken even at that position but again the edge group is chaos they don't need him to play right away I, I get why they did it uh, Bucks also had Mr. Irrelevant this year they did I predicted it. Grant Stewart predicted <laughs> it on the air you did you predicted it after reading it from the tracker yeah. yeah people don't know that I mean most people knew that Austin didn't know that Austin did yeah. not know on air it was late on Saturday Yes, it was hour eight of a lot eight of hours, hours of TV. It happened <laughs> on live TV. Uh, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Sweat Taylor. They outfitted us for the entire PFF NFL draft show. They they were just comfortable, man. It was you know good looking stuff that's comfortable. It's the newest sponsor of the PFF NFL podcast. It's Sweat Taylor, a premium menswear brand that is defining a new kind of casual. From jackets and pants to joggers and hoodies, Sweat Taylor's designs are made to seamlessly fit into your life, moving from runway to office, office to drinks, and drinks to wherever the night takes you i imagine all of our friends uh, are going to be out you know running around vegas with uh sweat taylor this entire weekend yeah i imagine that's half, what's going to be happening half the department's in vegas they specialize in athleisure wear for men pieces are designed with comfort and versatility in mind for every day use promo code pff sweat that's s-w-e-t 
for 25% off. That's PFF-SWET for 25% off your order at SweatTaylor.com. All right, we're going to the NFC North. To, uh, let's start with the Chicago Bears. We're going alphabetical here. We won't get to the Packers yet, right? Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota. No, Detroit. Chicago, Detroit. Got it. It's my preparation. It's all in my head. Mm. Bears win the draft here? Um, did they win the draft? I, they had a very, very good draft. I don't know if you can say they won it. The, like, the only downside to Chicago's draft is that it, it was effectively, you know, two players long. Uh, at the point where, like, they, they gave up a lot to have to make those moves and then didn't have a pick until the fifth round. And at the fifth round and beyond, everything is kind of, it's a crapshoot. Now, that being said, they got a guy in the sixth round, Khalil Herbert, who got an elite grade from us, was a pick that was, you know, they picked him at number 217. He was the number 91 overall player on our board. So that was an elite pick. But you can't really count on those guys to contribute right away. But this is all about those first two picks. Obviously, Justin Fields was there. Was there a big splash? You've been calling for this it is all it. season. This is the splash. It looked depressing when it was Andy Dalton. Now they did it. They got Justin Fields. They made it happen. They went and got him. They stopped his slide. You know, pick number 11. It's not the biggest slide in the world, but they got the quarterback of the future. And now they just need to be right again because the last time they did this, it was Mitchell Trubisky, and we all know how that went. So, look, on paper, you have to love it. Fields. I get why he slid. I get that there was that there's things to be frightened of on his tape. But ultimately, I think you should probably come down to, even with those things, he had three straight seasons of 90-plus PFF grading. He's got a great arm. He's incredibly athletic. He's incredibly accurate. Like Even with that as a problem, it's hard to see it being a crippling problem because it hasn't been yet against elite teams. So I, I think it's the right move for them to make. And then I really love that they went back and in the second round grabbed Tevin Jenkins because that offensive line was not in great shape. And again, like if you're going to limit the degree to which Justin Fields' negatives are negatives, an offensive line is the first place to start. I'm really starting to lean on this Ryan Tannehill comp for Justin Fields in, in talking about range of outcomes and sliders and the whole thing. We've broken this down on the podcast before, but I imagine we have a whole bunch of excited Bears fans. And I just want to, you know, make sure that the just make sure that all the options are out there and, and think, you know, this is where I think Justin Fields can land. I'm excited about him. I think he's, he's the most accurate passer in our charting five plus yard passes. So, every, you know, anything down the field, which is fantastic. There's a lot of Tannehill there. When Tannehill throws the ball, it looks really pretty. For most of his career, though, there's always those plays where it's like, ah, oh, third down sack. Why are you taking this? Why are you holding on the ball too long? Yeah. And Fields has a lot of that on tape. Now, as I've mentioned before, only 18 turnover-worthy plays, two for Fields. That's great. Better. That's better than Tannehill. Yes. So that puts him in – that's how Russell Wilson plays. That's how Aaron Rodgers plays. Guys who don't turn it over, but they take a lot of sacks. And Wilson was the player that he reminded me of when I watched him play. I know Anthony Tresh labeled him as like a jumbo Russell Wilson. I can see that. I, when you watch him play, it does remind me of Russell Wilson and a bigger version. Now, obviously, Russell Wilson has set an incredibly high bar – to be reaching and you might be more accurate in terms of uh, to be fair the last couple of years they've been in a similar place but generally the baseline of Ryan Tannehill might be a more realistic target for him than the baseline of Russell Wilson but I think stylistically these are the players to be looking at right guys that are really good but have a tendency to annoy the crap out of you with some of the negatives that they have not because they turn the ball over like crazy like Jameis Winston 
but because they're consistently taking slightly smaller negative plays. I, I think Dan Orlovsky took way too much crap for his Justin Fields comments. You do. I do. I think Dan says some, you know, we, we want to have him on the show and I'm gonna, we're going to challenge him on some of the things he said through the years. But I think the field stuff, he was, he was reporting what a lot of people around the NFL believe. Uh, Most look, of it, right? The, the processing deal and all that stuff. Is that not what the NFL believes? The problem, well, a lot of people. The problem to me with Dan Olosky's comments is that when they blew up and it was like, oh, Dan, what have you done? He immediately came out and then said, oh, I just went and texted a bunch of other people and they've like refuted everything that the first guy told me, right? You have to know. I didn't know that part. Yeah. You have to. And, that, that doesn't matter. Like, the point is, the people that would defend the comments would be like, he's just reporting what he's heard, and that's perfectly accurate. That's what his job is. Now, I don't know that it is what his job is. He's an analyst, not a reporter. That's true. But anyway, the point is that it was really easy for him to corroborate or otherwise the information. He had a bunch of other people he could ask, including people that, like, work directly with Justin Fields and have that knowledge. And as soon as he did that, he came up with the other side of the story. And my point is... You have to know how loaded those comments are in this world of um, latent racism when it comes to black quarterbacks versus white quarterbacks and the crap that they have to deal with and navigate and the stuff that's always thrown in their direction compared with white quarterbacks. You have to know how triggering those comments are going to be. So if you're going to relay them, even if they're not your thoughts, at the very minimum, you have to have checked that out first and be like, okay, I'm going to tell you what I've heard, and I'm also going to tell you that I've only heard it from, like, one guy, right? And everybody else says the opposite, but this might be why. I think he just didn't do that part of it. He, he just jumped. He just went, I've heard this, and this is why he's falling, without checking it, without going, let me just be clear. I've also heard other people say the exact opposite, so who the hell knows? Well, let's, let, well so let's just be clear on we, – we've cited here – should also be clear what he actually said. Just – because there's people I'm sure that don't have any what idea. What exactly did he say? Because maybe I'm missing part of it. Because the, the part is not to get like the headline driven stuff. The He said he'd heard like he'd heard that Justin Fields wasn't necessarily the hardest worker in the room. Not the first guy in the building, the last one out. Okay, I'm sorry. That. So I take this back. And I don't, that, and I, don't know, was, I don't know anything about that. And so. that there was questions about like whether he wanted to be great or something. It was okay, like, that's my that, so that's my fault for even because I'm only given that takeaway of like the, the processing thing is the thing that keeps coming up, right? And That's that, the thing that we've been pointing and, at and is so like the actual negative. I take back what I said about, about Dan because I forgot about those, those parts of the comments. To me, I just want to say we've listed the strengths and weaknesses of all these guys. Yes. And that's the one that, I, that the more I talk in NFL circles too also does come up. It's the processing right, that's aspect. real. But people get offended by that as that's well. That's real. And I think, well, the problem is I think it was never conveyed accurately by people that were dumping all over Justin Fields and his stock, right? I think that's the thing that is his, A, I think it's his biggest negative. B, I think it is the thing that scared teams, right? So the 49ers, if you're looking between those three quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields, Fields is the guy with that flaw, and I think that's a flaw that NFL teams can convince themselves is a terrifying prospect. They will look at and at, that's and that's what's happened. Right. People are terrified of, man. I wish he just I saw. I they wish will, he got rid of the ball a little bit. Quicker. They will look at Trey Lance and they will say that dude has only attempted 400 passes in his life. I can fix accuracy. Look, I can see what he's doing wrong with his feet. I can see what he's doing wrong with his hips. You give me a couple of months with that dude, I'll get him throwing the ball as one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think they look at Fields' issues in terms of holding onto the ball too long and sort of tightening up. I don't think they think they can fix that. 
right. think they think that that is an inherent issue and I, with a quarterback. And Mac Jones doesn't have it, right. and Trey Lance doesn't have it, and Trey Lance's issue they think they can fix. With Fields, it's a scarier problem, and I think that's why before the draft I was saying if one of these guys is going to slide, it would be Fields. Now, Jones slid as well, so it's not like I was right, but – I think there's a real reason that people were scared of Justin Fields. But what I think happened is but Fields Fields also dropped compared to where his tools and accuracy and so this athleticism is yeah, put he, him. He dropped completely. But what I think the problem was is that nobody really either people weren't getting the information about what it was teams were scared of, or they were just filling in the blanks themselves. So it was like the NFL is souring on Justin Fields, and I don't really know why, but here's what we think, right? Lazy or doesn't whatever. No, all I, I disagree with epilepsy. All I, I don't know anything about all any of the stuff things. that was coming out. Right, yeah. it was ridiculous. Right, and I don't know whether that was being fed out there by teams that wanted him to slide, or whether that was just like I know he's sliding. Let's have a look at his tape and let's see what I don't I, like. I and also that's do, what they were throwing out there. I do think I, I said this before too. Fields is an, an incredible prospect. Yeah. Teams wanted him to slide. I mean, Trey Lance wasn't getting attacked the same way. No one else. Fields was, was the really only getting... guy that got cramped on to the right. degree. So I don't think it was a uh, look. All I'm saying is I think it was a team's wanted Justin Fields thing. But and I also, that's why negative stuff came out. Maybe. I can also see that it was just the people that knew he was sliding didn't know why he was sliding, and they tried to fill in the blanks themselves, and that's where you got craziness like that come from. So if you're a Bears fan, Justin Fields, the good doesn't turn it over. The bad and accurate arm, arm talent to make every throw in athleticism. The, the bad is holding onto the ball. Over three seconds per play. Sack rate close to 30% when he's pressured. That is Tannehill, Mariota type of range. Those guys, that doesn't change. That's very consistent. And those are, those are two slightly different things, right? One, he generally trends towards holding onto the ball too long. And two, when things start to come at him, he locks up even more. So when he's under pressure, his sack rate is through the roof. When he's blitzed, he takes even longer to deal with it than when he isn't blitzed. Like, there's this trait that when things start to when the the shells start flying around him that's when Justin Fields starts to lock up and trend even more towards holding onto the ball too long which is already an issue and, and the thing I said when I was watching Justin Fields I got Carson Wentz in college vibes because Wentz would lock up and get stuck in the pocket and all that stuff but I, even though coaches get scared by that I've seen it get better I've seen Wentz play forget Wentz last year but Wentz has played much faster in the NFL than he did in college yeah I've mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo having a slow time transitioning in New England's offense. Now, this would pop up every now and again. There were definitely times he took unnecessary sacks, Garoppolo, but for the most part, plays pretty fast. So I've seen teams, I do feel like the coaching staff, the system, receivers help you play faster. Sure. Um, so, so I could see the path to success for fields. I and think also, you just. With Rodgers and Russell Wilson, there's also evidence that it's not necessary. You can play at an elite level, even with that being your biggest flaw. You can. You absolutely can. So that's why, again, you look at this spectrum of players that take care of the ball, probably take too many sacks and have those tools. It's Rodgers and Russell Wilson in the elite group. It's Ryan Tannehill in that tier. And if and if, if this becomes a major issue, then you're in that Jacoby Brissett, Tyrod Taylor, not Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler is the same thing with just bad tools. Yeah. But again, guys that hold the ball take too many sacks. Mariota is probably in that, in that mid-tier as well, despite the fact that he's a backup right now. So... Um, look, I think it was – I'm just excited for the Bears because if they came – no offense to Andy Dalton, but you knew that they had to make a play. They came away with the quarterback, a guy that many thought was the potential number one pick yeah. or number two pick coming into the to the draft. So good for the Bears and, you know, good for this. The Red Rifle got uh, – he got um, 
Mike Glennon, right? Come in, yeah. sign the, the starter deal. By another and then Ohio like State. Two months later, it's like, ah, by the way, no. <laughs> we just drafted your replacement. See ya. By Ohio State's own Joe Burrow, and then by Ohio State's own Justin Fields, or Georgia's own, if I'm doing it that way. Mm. Both transfers. Um, so they get Tevin Jenkins on the turn as well. They just released Charles Leno. He's not exactly the epitome of the uh, creep back toward average left tackle, Charles Leno. Why do they? Why do they do that? Why do they know. get rid of Charles Leno? I don't know. I liked Tevin Jenkins when I was like, all right, Charles Leno's there. Tevin Jenkins can come in and be a right tackle. But maybe they're in the Russell Okun sweepstakes. It's it's Russell now. I'm on to Russell. Yeah. Okay. And then Eric Fisher. After that, is uh, is Russell less attainable now that? Uh, Bitcoin has gone up. Like, is that more of a problem now than it was? We need a whole episode. Somebody suggested I should just get Russell on to discuss the, you know, Doge, the benefits of Bitcoin <laughs> and being paid in Bitcoin. Are we the through the roof thing. on Doge? Is it still going up? Are you not going to have to pay taxes on Bitcoin? Like, if you're getting paid in it, I'm pretty sure you do. Okay, I, so I, I don't, don't think they're I not, don't understand the benefit they're not, of getting paid in crypto. Well, the whole thing is they're not like that because clearly you can just. But this is the thing, right? Crypto. You can't, they're not like paying him in crypto. It's not that like you are getting paid in like naught point whatever uh, Bitcoin per what, you know, that's not how it's doing. They're paying him like an agreed upon amount in dollars and then they're just exchanging it into Bitcoin and giving him the Bitcoin equivalent. Surely you could do that on your own. You could, anybody could do that. It's a complete, like the whole thing is crap. I don't understand why that's become this like talking point. Now, if you're getting paid in Doge, back in January. Yeah. Now you'd be like, you'd be living the good life. Living the real good life. Anyway, um, Charles Leno, incredible career, really. Seventh round pick who's been just a solid left tackle. He's on the market now. Tevin Jenkins has played a little left tackle to Oklahoma State. Mostly a right tackle, though. He's He wasn't the cleanest pass protector. He's a great run blocker. He's solid pass protector. But yeah, I think you want, you want more depth rather than less depth. They're on the offensive line. So from a draft standpoint it's a good pick and you know you mentioned Khalil Herbert later in the draft so a lot of good things for the Bears here with the with the biggest one obviously being Justin Fields yeah Thomas Graham as well was another player that we gave an elite pick to a guy again 228 where they got him and he was the number 76 player on our board so they got a couple of guys late in the draft even with those sort of throwaway picks that you think have a real chance to make an impact on this team all right let's go to the Detroit Lions uh, no mentioning ankle biting here. It's kneecap biting. Kneecap Steve. biting. But I love ankle biting is a negative. That's a pejorative. You don't want to be an ankle biter. It's a definitely it's a small it. child. You know, kneecap biting is where it's at. Is that what they got here? Kneecap in, biters in Panay Sewell and Love Aleem McNeil. <laughs> I it's, Levi on uh, It's funny. I'm kind of I'm torn on this draft a little bit. I like the players they've got, and they they've attacked the trenches in a major way. So. Data right now essentially says that you want to build a team from the outside in, right? Conventional wisdom says you want to build it the inside out. You get yourself linemen, and then you, you find cornerbacks and wide receivers after the fact, and that's how you build a team. Data now says that, look, the actual the perimeter players are the more important ones. You get those first. You, that, those are the ones you want to be planning the resources into, and then you just get creep back toward average in the offensive line, right? So they have built this thing with an old-school mentality. We get Panay Sewell. Uh, with our first pick we get a pair of defensive interior monsters uh in the second and third rounds that's where we're building and we'll figure out the rest later on but so like you know you look at that and you're like <laughs> okay everything everything nice we said about dan campbell hey he's been learning at the feet of sean payton maybe he's actually really enlightened as a 
as how to do all this sort of stuff. And then he rolls in here and says, just give me all the offensive linemen. Um, so they're building this sort of using an old school mentality, and usually that doesn't go well. But the Lions were such a freaking mess that I honestly don't think there's a wrong way of doing it. You know they what I mean? Every, but they, they needed everything. That's what I mean, right? So they're such a mess, they need everything, at which point I don't care what order you do it in, right? Here's, here's the other argument, too. I think in their favor. First off, Panay Sewell, I think was a that's a no brainer. He's just he's an awesome player that's going to solidify. He's been practicing right tackle. He's going to step in at right tackle. If they lose Taylor Decker in the future, that he can move to the left side. Getting the back to back interior defensive lineman again is Levi on Wuzurike and then Aleem McNeil. McNeil we had higher on our draft board, three hundred twenty pounds, moves incredibly. He was an outfielder in high school. We saw those highlights on the draft show. Um, so I love him, and Wuzurike is a bit of a, more of a projection, but I don't know if that was by design or just kind of how the board fell. Right. The point of adding receivers and corners later, though, is I think the Lions just have so much time to build. They still don't necessarily have their long-term quarterback. So maybe the plan is, yeah, we're building the trenches and the whole thing, but a year from now and two years from saying. now, it, that's when we're getting QB and receiver and corner, and we'll have them longer from they, a contract standpoint yeah. and everything. They can't fix it all in one offseason. So – it doesn't really matter what order you do it in. Like, as long as you understand the relative importance of receiver and cornerback and you aren't simply trying to build a team that would crush 1985 but not, you know, 2020-whatever, that's fine. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of torn between does this draft represent, like, a real ethos of what they're trying to do, right? We believe in smash-mouth football and old school and pound the rock and blah, all those ridiculous cliches. I hope not. Or does it simply represent, hey, we've got to we've got to attack all of this right now, and the big guys is where the board fell, so let's roll with the big guys right now. So it's really TBD. Yes. We can only judge the players. So I like the players is my overall point. I'm just concerned, or at least we need to be aware, that this could like be emblematic of this Dan Campbell old school, you know, picks kneecap biting. Picks 101. Um, Melifon one. I keep losing myself here. He was in the third, though, right? Uh, he was in the third. third yes. Yeah. So the third round pick, Afatu Melifonwu, and fourth round pick, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, also good spots for both of those guys. Melifonwu, yeah. freak athlete, tons of size at corner. So that also fills, you know, a major need because, yeah, they drafted uh, Jeffrey Okuda last year. He wasn't great. Uh, now we've got Amani Overwarie and Afatu Malafanwu in the same secondary, which is beautiful. And Akuda. And, yes, and Akuda. Um, I'm just saying they have long names. Mm. So we've got some depth there at outside corner. That was much needed. Amon Ross St. Brown, well worth taking a shot on a, you know, a, a bigger receiver again compared to some of the others yep. in this class. He's got pretty good ball skills. So, yeah, it's, it's a good solid overall draft for the Lions. What do we give them? It is. I, I like the draft. I think if you look at just the players they've got, I really like the collection of talented play, players that they've assembled. As I said, my, it's not even like it's, it's, it's almost independent of the draft. It's like just does this mean – that this is what Dan Campbell values, or is this simply the order that they chose to attack them in? Because one of those, I think, is, is not a problem. The other one might be. We went A-minus for the Lions. By the way, we went A-plus for the Bears because they did get the number three quarterback on our draft board in Justin Fields, and uh, it was very necessary for those Bears. So, yeah, it was a good, solid draft for the Lions. I mean, I love I just, I love Panay Sewell. Can't wait to watch him play football. Elite second-level run blocker. He's got some power. 
two highest graded highest graded season we've ever seen for a true freshman highest graded season we've ever seen for a true sophomore sat out 2020 so lions fans should absolutely be excited about panay yeah um, and i think the lions they also don't forget have multiple first rounders coming up because of the matthew stafford trade mm-hmm. so this is going to be um fascinating as always the uh the draft uh the the rebuild here in detroit and what and how they're going to structure this thing all right let's go to green bay the packers we've touched on the aaron Rodgers stuff a little bit ultimately do we think he is going to be back with the packers doesn't sound like it um brett Favre has weighed in says you know if i know aaron like i think i do dude's out of here um, I mean, Favre knows Aaron is my, he knows he knows Aaron more than me. But here's what I know about Aaron: he doesn't talk to his family. If he's willing to not talk to his family, he's probably willing to leave the Packers. I think that is the key, right? That this is a dude that holds a grudge and is prepared to cut off everything to to, to just be right about that. So, if he has decided that I am out of here unless various people in this building are fired, unless those people are getting fired, Rogers is gone. Like he's he's bouncing. So. To me, the question is now, all right, Rodgers isn't playing for the Packers anymore. Does he play anywhere else, or is he hosting Jeopardy? Now, I think I'm fascinated by this because I think the worst thing that could happen to Green Bay is that they trade Aaron Rodgers to Denver and watch him win two more championships while they suck and then retire. I think if you're Green Bay, there's a very real chance that they just aren't going to trade him. They're going to say, look, you're playing here I think or you're leaving. The worst thing. I just don't. I I think the worst thing that can happen is they let a guy, a franchise hero, leave and watch him win championships somewhere else. Particularly if they can't, for the first time in a long time, if they can't go from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer as a quarterback. Like if Jordan Love comes in and Jordan Love is bad and Rodgers is busy winning championships in Denver, you look absurd. They're like the Patriots, right? The Patriots had Drew Bledsoe and then Tom Brady from 1993 until 2019 the Packers have had Brett Favre. Was it 93 that he ended up there? Uh, yeah, I think it was 93 or 92 or 93. Drafted 92, it would have been 93. So, 90, yeah. so the Packers have had Brett Favre yeah. and Aaron Rodgers since, from 1993 years. to 2020. 32 years. The Incredible. interesting stat is, so they've had three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? Uh, Bart Starr, Brett it's not Favre. 32 years. What? They've both played 16 seasons. Yeah, but Favre didn't play them all in Green Bay. Uh, that's true. No, he did. 16 seasons in Green Bay. So this is the stat that I'm about to tell you, if you stop interrupting me. That's been 27 years. They went Bart Starr, they've, uh, Brett, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers, and none of them have played longer than 16 seasons. They've all hit 16, and then two of them weren't there anymore, and the third one is now a question mark. Nobody played 17 seasons. 1993 was how long ago? I'm just giving you the data. That's what I've read. It's 27 years ago, though. I, what, what, what do you want from me? That's what the Oh, because there's overlap. Because Rogers, okay, Rogers and Favre yeah, were teammates. That's why it there is. You I'm go. Like, I'm, so anyway. Don't do them, this live. None of them played longer than 16 seasons. Well, how about that? It's over. That's the, that's the cutoff. They're playing the, they're playing the analytics there, Sam. Nobody yeah. can do more than 16 years here in Green Bay. Um, so the reports are, though, there are some reports that it's not Aaron versus the Packers. It's Aaron and Matt LaFleur, the head coach, against Goot. Well, he, I mean, if you're the head coach, right, I mean, you're going to want Aaron Rodgers there, right? 
the head coach, Matt LaFleur, yeah. feels feels like the dude that's caught between, you know, in the middle. But there were reports last year. Mommy and daddy are fighting, year. and I'm trying to, trying to keep the peace. There were reports last year. LaFleur is from the Shanahan tree mm-hmm. and the Kubiak deal and the whole – so there were reports that they like a nice system quarterback that they can control and they trust the system and the whole thing, and that was part of the reasoning for getting Jordan Love. They feel like they can work with anybody – not necessarily needing a star. Yeah, but then Rodgers went and played like an MVP, and that changed everything. Well, yeah. I mean, that's I, the problem, right? I don't know that it's true. They had all these best laid plans a year ago, and then Rodgers went and played like the best quarterback in the NFL, and it's like, oh, every plan we had just went to hell. What are we going to do now? And it's like, oh, yeah. Actually, I know we drafted your replacement last year, but you're our future. We want to commit to you long term. And he's like, well, yeah, but you just you screwed me over, and now I'm done with you, and I, I want out of here. Like That's the fundamental problem is – Again, it's mistakes you've made in the past. Like the Packers decided, and honestly, there were reasons to, you know, the, the decline that Rodgers had been in. The Packers decided it's time to start encouraging Rodgers towards the door or at the very minimum plan for his long-term succession. Um, and Rodgers went, screw you, comes back, plays like an MVP, and now everything you just planned went to hell. This is like, it's Brett Favre. It's, it's so freaking ridiculous how history is just repeating itself, Right. They got tired of Brett Favre's crap, drafted his replacement, and then Brett Favre plays so well, it's like, well, we can't kick him to the curb now. And it hangs on for years, and then eventually they just go, all right, look, to hell with this. We're not dealing with this every offseason. Leave. And Brett Favre goes to the Jets, then goes to the Vikings, blah, blah, blah. History's just repeating itself. They, got, they planned for Rodgers' replacement, and then Rodgers played so well that, ah, oh, crap, we can't do that now. And you're screwed again. The, the problem here is in 2008 – Rodgers was on the team in 2005, 6, and 7, yeah. barely even playing. And the Packers probably saw him at practice and was like, eh, we can move on from Brett Favre. Right, but Jordan Favre Love was playing so active. well. But Favre was playing so well that they couldn't for a while. But in and 07, eventually they just went, all right, now. But in 07, they went to the NFC Championship. Yes, Brett Favre did throw a game-ending pick, which he tends to do in yeah. clutch situations yeah, after the 90s. And maybe that was what made it easier. But they watched Aaron Rodgers at practice and said, okay, we can move on. The Packers also got a year of Jordan Love – sitting probably not even practice barely even practicing and i don't know how confident they are in jordan love yeah so anyway we had to touch on aaron Rodgers. the other issue is uh renner and our grades and rankings also don't love the packers draft yes with a, second with a year in a row. so ultimately i agree I, I don't think i don't think rogers is back with the packers which complicates all of this but then you go and look, this stupid narrative out there, like, well, they didn't draft. They were going to draft an offensive player to make Aaron happy at 29. Like, no, that's not how you it's not how you build a team. But they got Eric Stokes, a cornerback that we were a little bit lower on. He's got some production and straight line speed. He'll have a chance to compete for that cornerback spot opposite Jay Alexander. Last year is the only season or the only draft where I think you can look at it and say they really didn't help Rodgers out. Now, people have been like... That one I out, completely agree with. People have been like pulling out, you know, their first-round picks for the last 10 years, and it's like one offensive player or something, or one receiver, whatever it is, right? They're like, Rodgers has never been given help by the team. That's like, I mean, he's helped, A, by pick seven through... Or se- two through seven, right? Yeah. It's not like it's a one... He's had one of the best offensive lines. He's got yeah. maybe the best receiver in the NFL, and two, Devontae Adams. they're trying to build a team, not just a receiving core. Like, Rodgers has helped out by having a great offensive line. He's helped out when the defense is good. So I don't think you can look at their drafting and say they haven't been helping Rodgers at all. I think you can look at last year and say they didn't help him for shit. They drafted his replacement and then a bunch of guys to complement a power running game. That didn't help anything. Like, you know, A.J. Dillon, 
showed up like for one game in December. It's like, well, that, what did that do? Um, so I think you can look at last year and say that didn't help. And again, this is that's what happened. They burned this bridge a year ago, and now they're dealing with the consequences of you pissed off a dude that will ostracize his entire family if he thinks he's been wronged, and you think you can piece that back together in an offseason? Probably not happening. And supposedly a lot of it's more contract-driven, not necessarily like, oh, you've given me bad players. I mean, I think that's up in the air. Debatable. I mean, I think the Jordan Love, the, that draft in general, absolutely with you. You know, he's, yeah, I'm sure Rodgers is in the running backs don't matter camp too. He's like, why are you getting this big dude in round two? Well, certainly not while we're like debating, you know, a, you just drafted my replacement, and B, where are my wide receivers at? Yeah, he was also like super high on Justin Jefferson, yes. hoping he was going to fall, saw how great he was going to be in their system, and he goes to Minnesota, and then they draft, trade up for a quarterback, trade mm. up to go get Jordan Love. Yeah. Trade it up. Who yeah. was taking Jordan Love that they had to – anyway. It's bad. Eric Stokes was 72 on our board. He goes 29th. Josh Myers, uh, center prospect, he was 154 on our board, and he goes 62nd. So the Eric Stokes one is interesting, right, because – I think I think Renner is lower on him than most other people. Certainly the Packers, obviously. Um, so let's split the difference, right? Say he's not 72 overall. He's not 29 overall. He's probably worth 50. Um, I, I mean, I, he was a guy that I thought was likely to go in the first round. But what's interesting is even independent of, like, if you agree with the Packers and you think he's a first-round player, he's a terrible fit for that scheme. Like, he's not, he's not a player that gels in that defense. He's a, a guy that is more of a press man corner again or a man coverage guy to be and fair it's a new defense we don't know exactly but it's a new defense coming from a system that's very zone heavy that's it's not Rams, yeah. yeah it's not it's not a press man scheme that they're bringing in unless it is it changes significantly from what we've seen so eric stokes is not a, it's it's like um the jc horn pick it doesn't look great from a couple of different angles um by the way stokes people people that have been with us for a while remember the uh, the trey wayne's workout comparison yeah there's a handful of corners through the years that have had lower 40 times than 20-yard uh, shuttles. We only discovered recently that Trey Wayne's fixed his at his pro day. He it right. Didn't, I it still didn't like hold holding up. on to that narrative, though. Well, no, it was great. It was perfect because it yeah. did perfectly encapsulate the kind of player he was, but apparently right. he went and fixed it at his pro day. So a good corner shuttle time is probably about 4 flat, 4 1. You got a bunch of guys in the threes. So if you're above, if you're in the four three six range like Stokes, that is only 17th percentile, and it, and so he's 4.3440, 95th percentile, 4.36 shuttle, 17th percentile, hmm. and then you see it on film too. So when you have a guy that's like that, they don't change direction very well. They don't deal well with, you know, routes that move <laughs> in or out, you know, in cuts, out cuts, and that's how Trey Waynes has been for a lot of his career. Yeah. So um, you look at that from a skill set standpoint, and you see the size that. Stokes brings in the speed and you're like okay in a man heavy system where you can press a little bit you take away the speed receiver and that's kind of your role and I always thought Trey Waynes would be good at that in particular so with a corner it's just tough because you when you can't move that well laterally you're just a little limited and Stokes is a better press man type of player than a than a zone player and we'll see if it's an exact replica of the Rams offense but yes it is coming over defense um, defense right um, Amari Rogers a decent pick a lot of people making that Randall Cobb comparison either way he's a good I like slot. that pick He's a good slot receiver to add that to yep. add to the mix there for uh, Jordan Love. Um, yeah, and the Josh Myers, the center they grabbed from Ohio State, was another massive reach on our board. Never earned a PFF grade above seventy-five over a full season, and it's one of those players that when he loses, like it's bad, bad. You know what I mean? Like he lunges at the line, misses, and then yep. the dude is seven yards in the backfield. And it's like, yeah, my bad. 
those I think are concerning players to be grabbing and hoping they can contribute. I'll give you one guy to keep an eye on: Shamar Jean Charles from App- uh, Appalachian State. We've had a bunch of random, not toolsy corners that just go late. The Darius Williams of the world that you always mm-hmm. mention. Darius Williams of the Rams had a great career at UAB from a production standpoint, but he's, you know, okay size, okay everything else. But he's had a pretty good NFL career so far. And in that Rams system, uh, Gene Charles has similar, you know, he's not the fastest guy, he's not the biggest guy, but he's had pretty good production at Appalachian State. And for a fifth-round pick, he's got a shot there. But overall, you know, didn't love the Packers draft. Um, scheme fits, where they got guys in the whole thing. Yep. And just not a great draft weekend overall for Packers fans because of well, it's a catastrophic draft weekend overall when you consider that Rodgers now wants out of the building. Their draft weekend is reminiscent of Reuben Foster's NFL Combine. And Reuben mm. Foster barely got out of the interview room before he got sent home. Yeah. During he was, the Combine. Wasn't he waiting at like waiting in like the, you know, the aisle for the medicals and then got into it with somebody? Yeah, yeah, telling him where to go or something. And what was worse? Off. I'm going to send Renner a text and see what he thinks. So is it worse, Packers draft weekend or Reuben Foster's combine? What yeah. was worse? Good question. We'll see, though. Yeah. And that's back-to-back years. We'll see what happens here, but that's back-to-back years we didn't love the Packers draft. Last year, they got right. literally no help from any of their draft picks. And so now they're I going mean, to need yes, this some is, of those guys to come good. This is the this thing. Even if, you, even if Rodgers comes back – so last year it was like, well, they did nothing to help this team. Thirteen and three, they go thirteen and three again, and honestly, look like a more legit thirteen and three because Rodgers made up all the difference by himself. Rodgers played as the best quarterback in the NFL, best season we've ever given him in terms of PFF grade. So it didn't matter that nobody else was coming in to help. Rodgers on his own made the giant leap between where the team could have been and where they actually ended up being. Rodgers probably isn't going to do that again, even if he plays again. Right? Underrated part of this whole thing, yes. So I, he's going to regress at some Rogers, point. Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Jair probably all regress a little all bit. Of they them, were right. all awesome. So all three, your three most important players are almost certainly going to regress, or at least a majority of them are going to regress, which means you have to rely on something else picking up that slack, and you haven't added anything that's going to pick up the slack, at least in terms of on paper this year with, with players at the top that are reaches, last year with players at the top that – are a quarterback and not helping in terms of power running backs and tight ends and like it's just not like what where are you getting better i don't know tough time in green bay yeah on paper at least we'll see what happens the hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next they grow in excitement anticipation and this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring saturday night there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated Sportsbook app. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. Downloaded the top, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users will change the spot on their page where mm. they're reading. Mm. What? Where did this go? Smooth. Did it just disappear? Wow. This is undermining your status as the uh, terms and conditions guy. If you can't Good even... thing we're... Redo the whole thing. So you download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up. I said that, but for, for a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook and, of course, 
Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Salvaged it. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Um, Vikings. Yes. Sorry, Kelly wants to know if I want a Starbucks order. I see. Have you got an actual lead into this Vikings thing, or we're just Vikings? Vikings had one of the best moves of the entire draft. Yeah. We could debate Justin Fields and the merits of it. Maybe we save that for the offseason. Well, how it reshape, it's going to reshape the entire NFC North forever. Yeah, we can debate the merits of it later, but I think it's worth just articulating what was reported. That the Vikings were apparently essentially preparing to draft Justin Fields if he made it as far as their pick at number 14. Um, they were also at least exploring phone calls of what it would take to get higher than that. And then ultimately the Bears jumped them and made the decision for them. At that point, you're now looking at what they were looking at. The offensive line, um, Christian Darasaw, I mean, he was a player we've been saying, every time we mocked it, Darasaw went one spot ahead to the Chargers, who were always going to take a left tackle. Um, they ended up getting Rashawn Slater. Suddenly, Darasaw's available. And if it was me, I would have, like, rushed that card in. Right. Hell yeah. Absolutely. This is a dream draft for us. Vikings didn't do that. They traded down to 23 and still got Darasaw. He ended up sliding, and they picked up a couple of third-round picks in addition to that. Like, just a, whether they got lucky or whether they just played the odds, a masterful piece of drafting and maneuvering in the draft. This is, I mean, it's not even what we were talking about with the Raiders, who just don't take advantage of the extra value. They actually gambled effectively that, hey, look, we like Darasaw. We don't love him, and we're willing to run the risk that somebody else grabs him and pick up a couple of picks and still grab him if he's there. So what the Vikings actually got with that trade down, two third rounders, they gave up a fourth rounder that got moved around a few times, but I just want to highlight those, the, the multiple picks. Darasaw, potential starting left tackle yes. at 23. Not potential, actual. I mean, the starting left tackle. Immediate. I mean, potentially good. We yes. don't know how good any of these guys are going to be. They also got Kellen Mond with pick 66. Yep. So you got a free lottery ticket on a backup quarterback who could be good and could be yep. valuable or whatever. Any quarterback is valuable despite when we trash quarterback picks. And then Wyatt Davis at pick 86, a pick that they also got from the Jets. It came through Seattle. The number one guard on PFS board. The number one guard on our board. Well, Elijah Vera Tucker because okay, really yeah, number yeah. two guard. So number two Vera guard. Tucker could be either one. Um, so this, the way I was laying this out was even if – and Vera Tucker is the guy the Jets went and got. Even if Vera Tucker is better than Wyatt Davis, maybe there's not, there's not a massive difference between both. Even if Darasaw's not good at left tackle, you essentially got a starting guard in Wyatt Davis and not that big of a drop-off from Vera Tucker, and you took a shot at a tackle. Vice versa, you got a or you got a starting left tackle in Christian Darasaw, and maybe Davis isn't that good at guard, but you took a shot at improving a position that has been a disaster in recent years. It is just, I think it's incredible team building for the Vikings to go in with a massive offensive line need, we knew they wanted a starting left tackle, and they come away with two potential starters plus a lottery ticket on a quarterback. That's yeah. awesome. They, Yeah, absolutely. They got their starting left tackle, and in addition, they get an almost certain upgrade at guard, almost, regardless of how good Wyatt Davis ends up being. The Vikings had the worst guard situation in the NFL last year, The like basically the two worst starters. Davis is almost certainly going to be better than one of those guys. In the jet, so like from and they the got jet- that essentially for free, right? And then the Kellen Mond pick – Whatever it is in terms of like 
a threat to Kirk Cousins, at the very minimum, it is the Vikings taking the backup job seriously for the first time since, since Kirk Cousins got there. They have been cycling through a bunch of guys that just don't belong on NFL rosters for the most part. For the first time, they've actually invested something significant in the backup quarterback spot. And whether that has any effect whatsoever, it's at least a signal that you're we're not just ignoring this. Like, it's not your show, you being Kirk Cousins. It's not your show, and then if you suck, we're just screwed. We have... We're looking at it now. And they apparently, you know, called Kirk Cousins and gave him the heads up that, hey, look, we might be taking a quarterback this week. Um, which, by the way, is the kind of courtesy that the Packers don't appear to have given Aaron Rodgers, which might have gone some way towards heading off this shit show they've created. Like, you don't need, like, this, like, everyone rails about, it. you can't have a quarterback making your personnel decisions, man. Where does it end? Well, you don't need him making the decisions, but how about you give him a heads up before you draft a guy that might be taking his job? Like, it's, it's just basic courtesy. You can head off your guy getting butthurt by saying, just a heads up, we might be taking a guy at your position this week. Just a heads up, by the way. The Vikings come away with 11 players, and we preach drafting and volume a lot here. They come away with 11 players this year, 15 players last year. So there's a lot of spots on the depth chart that don't necessarily look great on paper, but if you factor in the fact that a lot of them are heading into their second year, a lot of them are rookies, there's a lot of unknowns, the Vikings could be the the big sleeper here. And maybe it's not this year, maybe it's next year, because a lot of these a lot of times these drafts don't come to fruition until years two, three, four. But last year, just just coming out of a draft with three really good players is is great. That's what you want. But when you draft 15 times, you have a better shot at that. Last year, we know they got Justin Jefferson. Jeff Gladney had shown flashes before. Now all of this off-field stuff mm -hmm. occurred. Um, Gladney was not as impressive as Cameron Dantzler, who they got in the fourth, but... Third, right? Oh, it was a third? Sorry. So. Um, but you've got a first and a, you've got a, a wide receiver in a corner coming out of that draft. And a few other players, even Ezra Cleveland, could, could right now slated to be the guard, the right guard. If he's just a solid starter there. That's an incredible draft last year. And then you add in, do they get a left tackle and a left guard in this draft? It's a really nice two years for the Vikings, yeah. potentially, with all these you know lottery tickets that they've been purchasing. They've done a really good job of fighting from the, with their back up against the wall. Like They have done the thing that we say you shouldn't do, which is leave yourself going into drafts needing to fill some pretty clear starting spots. And... That just puts you in a really tough spot because you need to nail it. Otherwise, you're in real trouble. The Vikings have put themselves in that spot two years in a row and at least on paper appear to have done a really good job of fighting their way out of that corner. Um, last year, I think you could say they did. I mean, they got Justin Jefferson. That's pretty clearly a home run. Dantzler looks like he's going to be that answer at cornerback, um, even if Gladney bombs out because of this stuff. So that's a pretty good return. And then this year... Darisol will start. Let's see how good he is. And then, again, you, you almost certainly upgraded a guard as well with a free pick. So they have come out of two straight drafts with a couple of starters that fill major areas of need, which is as well as you can possibly expect to draft in today's NFL. Patrick Jones off the edge, uh, another round three pick at Pittsburgh, had a pretty productive career, a lot of speed, and Kini and Wangu. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, from it. Iowa State. Cameron Bynum, cornerback out of Cal. Janarius Robinson, he's one of those ridiculously long edge defenders that you just get in the fourth round, never really productive, but if he puts it all together, you know, fine. 
This is where we would bring Eric on here to argue with Vikings fans that Mike Zimmer is never what do you have, like two Vikings fans and Vikings Twitter that are always arguing with you guys and you think it's like the whole fan base? How does that work? I haven't argued with them very much at all. Um, but it, it, Eric always has like two Vikings fans that he's arguing with or something. It's a reasonable point, though, that they, they've essentially – Mike Zimmer has effectively parlayed the idea that Donnell Hunter was his, you know, the guy that was unproductive in college but a spectacular athlete into, oh, the Vikings can just develop pass rushers or develop defensive linemen and when you look at the players they've drafted they really haven't like it's been Donnell Hunter and basically that's it but this draft is it's it's let's just take a few of them let's <laughs> see what happens right maybe they'll all bomb maybe one of these three will work out and be a player that can start opposite Donnell Hunter or even replace him down the line I don't hate that like just we, we've reached the point in the draft there's no obvious starter on the edge even in terms of a guy who we think we can develop into a great player. Let's just take three of them and hope that one of them shows something. I'm trying to pull up my stats on Chaz Surratt. So he's their third-round linebacker, former quarterback out of UNC. Uh, Renner and Austin on the two-for-one pod always joke about the hashtag fun-to-watch players. Mm -hmm. Chaz Surratt is hashtag fun-to-watch because um, historically, if I can get the actual numbers to load, I know going into last year he was like zero with percentile run defense grade. Yeah. Dead last. But his run stop percentage historically was really high, 80th percentile, something like that. So he makes – here it is. Over the last two years, run defense of 39.4 grade. That's not great. But his run stop percentage is 78th percentile. So he makes plays, but he also gets blocked a ton, misses a ton of tackles, and is always in the wrong gap. Yeah. My player comp for him is Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy. <laughs> okay. All right. I think it's a good one. <laughs> They, uh, their player comp for him was uh, Telvin Smith, which... Renner's? Yeah. I, gave, I fed Bobby Boucher to Renner, and the fact and that he, he didn't put that you. in our draft guide is just egregious. Yeah. Bobby Boucher is perfect. He just runs around, goes and gets the ball. Every now and again, he runs into a tackle that blocks him, or he misses the tackle. But Surratt's problem is he doesn't necessarily get the ball. He just runs around. Well, he gets the ball at a high rate. That's the, the run place. stop percentage. Yeah. But a lot of times he doesn't have an idea that like there's a blocker in between him and the ball and he gets blocked. I mean, he's a classic, you know, gamble. Let's take a take a gamble on a guy that's got high end athleticism, flashes playmaking, and a former QB. Yeah, yeah, and and a reason for not being great right now. You know what I mean? Like a reason for not being the finished article right now. And let's hope we can teach him the bits that are missing. And if we do, if he puts it all together, now we've got an awesome linebacker buried in the the middle rounds. On the other hand, if he's just one of those guys who doesn't read things tremendously well and is constantly running around like a headless chicken and hitting the wrong gaps, then you just got a bad player. Even in coverage, it's hilarious. His coverage grade is 50, 15th percentile <laughs> when compared to recent NFL prospects, but his forced incompletion percentage is one of the best. So he makes plays on the football. He's around the football. Boom or bust. And, but he's also just not great overall. Very, the dead smack last run defense grade out of 130 recent NFL qualifiers. Which is hard to do when you are high in run stop percentage. Right. Like, that's think what about saying. what that means you're doing all outside of those plays. If you don't know the PFF system, if you're making a run stop in and around the line of scrimmage, you're probably getting a positive grade. Yes. And it's going to help your run defense grade. And if, if your run defense grade is that bad, like ass. <laughs> it's, it means it's probably the. Zero with percentile, oh, the fifth percentile missed tackle yeah, grade. Missed tackles will it. do it, and also just running into the wrong gap will do it. Those will get you some pretty hefty negatives that will offset so, the stops you're making. The other part is his pass rush grade is one of the best. So you just send him after the quarterback, you send him after the ball carrier. He makes plays on the ball in coverage, but he's just 
out of position or missing tackles all the time. Yeah. I love Chaz Surratt. Give me more Chaz Surratt. I just want to see him play football. That feels like a guy that you want on special teams. Yes. You know what I mean? Where you're like, run the hell down there for 60 yards and kill somebody. Until he misses the tackle. Well, whatever. All right. Well, they got him 78th overall. He was 101 on our draft board. So it was, it was fine. What did we give the Vikings for a grade? Did we grade that? We gave C- minus to the Vikings. I mean, the Packers. C- minus yes. to the Packers. B-plus for the Vikings. There you go. Good job by the Vikings. So a lot of players. I like the volume drafting. I love the trade down offensive line wise yep big picture wise are they going to last question we're going to wrap it up here are they going to regret not making a bigger move for justin fields who is now with their division rival chicago bears i was going to be like but the first part of the report when it was like if he'd fallen to number 14 they would have grabbed him but it hadn't yet mentioned the idea that they were exploring calls to trade at that point i was going to be sort of defending it and saying look they're tied to Kirk cousins for another couple of years the dude would be sitting for half of that contract. I don't hate the idea of like not prioritizing it and just saying, look, it is what it is. Kirk Cousins is here. If he falls into our laps, okay, that changes some things, but we're not going to go trading to go get him. But the fact that they were also <laughs> looking, at least exploring what that would look like says that you know they were prepared to do that, at which point, I mean, if you think he's good enough that he's worth trading up for and you didn't do it, you have to quest, particularly if he goes to Chicago and lights the world on fire, and now you got to deal with that guy two year, two times a year, every year. You might end up regretting that. I need to make a list of these. There are just so many of these decisions that happen in the draft that are going to affect the NFL for years to come, and that's going to affect the NFC North for years to come. Another thing the Vikings did, by the way, is snag like absurd athlete playmakers on offense. They got a couple of those guys, um, and Guanu, the Ohio State or Iowa State rather, uh, running back with. Almost no career production, but like absurd numbers, like ridiculous 40 time looks a lot more like Dalvin Cook than Alexander Madison does, yes. at least in terms of a, an athletic profile, whereas actually they look quite similar because they both have dreadlocks and, you know, have anyway. Um, and then Imer Smith-Marset from Iowa hitting the Iowa State hard with these, with these athletes. Um, again, another guy that's just got crazy athleticism, built like a stick, like really rake thin but made a ton of really big plays. Suddenly you're looking at that and saying, okay, the depth players we have, like we got Backup great starters. Back, potential third wide receiver there. Right, yeah. and, but if you look at their roster before, it's like we got great starters. You know, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, albeit getting on, um, Dalvin Cook. But when we have to go to the bench, these guys are a lot more just sort of safe and steady, you know? We got BC Johnson. I mean, nobody's scared at that. Um, Alexander Madison has been a good guy to fill in, but doesn't have the game-breaking ability that Dalvin Cook has. Suddenly you've added a guy to both those areas where they have like explosive playmaking ability if they see the field. The YouTube chat has broken into some uh, crypto discussion. Oh, sweet. And I think it's time to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget, sign. get to Sam's Twitter account, PFF underscore Sam, if you want to see me pick out my hair with the afro. Add to the GoFundMe. We're up to uh, $776. I'm not sure where we got the weird number from. Somebody just decided we're not going to end in a zero or a five here uh, Apparently, with our uh, donation. That's cool. Every every dollar counts. They do. Do Do we accept Bitcoin or uh, Doge in there? It doesn't. uh, Not that I know of. Okay. Look, I'm not in charge of the GoFundMe. I can throw some Doge at you. I guess I am in charge of the GoFundMe, but I I don't organize how they accept currency. It's all going to a good cause. Heritage House over here in Cincinnati helping uh men with uh, addiction 
So uh, looking forward to picking my hair out probably next week at this time. I think we're gonna we're gonna be on pace. We're gonna do it. Um, I think we're gonna put our last episode on Monday morning. We'll be live. It'll be fake live. Fake live. Monday morning. <laughs> Sam will be in the camping in the woods of Kentucky, but we'll still be live on YouTube, and we'll be up there in podcast land. And then perhaps next Thursday when you see both of us together again live, I might have a monster afro. Yes. Is there like an outfit that goes with it, or are you just gonna like rock it like nothing's different? No, I'll probably wear the same. Same, same just regular top, and it's like yeah. you're just sitting there with a fro. There will be no outfit that goes with it. No outfit. That no. seems disappointing. No, that's like another thousand dollars if you want to start. <laughs> if you start want to start dressing, another thousand, and we can dress Steve however we want. In minor league baseball, Sam, we did have this one weekend. You picked a name out of a hat, and you got to dress. Yeah. For twenty dollars, you got to dress someone else on your team for the weekend. You had twenty bucks to spend. We'd go to like the local Salvation Army. Whatever. I told you'd you pick my an outfit for. I told you my plan that I think we should do for a bet. Right. One day I was scrolling through like the Macy's online catalog thing, right? And there's like a, there's a couple of brands on Macy's where they just have like you know, who the who the who wears this? Who would buy this voluntarily and wear it? Unironically, an yes. Yeah. And I was saying that we should do this. We should do a bet where instead of the loser having to buy the winner lunch, the loser has to wear something purchased by the winner from the Macy's online catalog, right? And you know so. You stick to the right size, right? I can't buy you like a small T-shirt or whatever because that would be harsh. But I just buy you this like absurd pink whatever, something ridiculous, and you have to wear that or vice versa. I think that would be funny. Yeah, we'll see. I think we should do that. We'll see. You got me to pick up my hair potentially, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, but I'm, we're paying $1,000 for that. That's for good causes, for yes. good causes. Anyway, I'm, I'm just saying this I'm would be $1,000 for this it too, This would apparently. be just a bet. This would be just, you know. Yeah, we'll see. Like our lunch bets with like, uh, with Kind of like the Grant. lunch bets that, you know, we just off on the side. Anyway, that'll do it for the NFC South and the North. We've got the AFC South and the North still to come. Is that right? I, I'm I've, losing track. I've lost track. I, I actually don't, don't remember. You but it's me, pre-recorded. So this is why it. you just stick to the regular order. You'll get right? it on Monday morning. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday and then next Thursday. Back to our two-per-week schedule, PFF NFL podcast. Wave, Sam. Wave.